I'm wearing this shirt because I got to tell you, you are terrible fans. Terrible. We go last season, seriously, hardly anybody shows up to our games. What is wrong with you? We are Elements team. See, that's the response right there. That's what we get. <laughs> Nobody shows up. 6.30 tomorrow night, Haggard in the field, show up and cheer us on. Yeah, we need cheering. We need cheering. Because last season was bad. <laughs> Just bad. So, show up. Someone gave me this this morning between services. This is the Genesis Chardonnay. Between services. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Welcome to Element. If you're new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. And in those sermon notes, you will get, uh, the, you'll get all the verses and questions. And then on the bottom left-hand corner of the inside, there is a QR scanner. If you have a smartphone, you get a QR reader. And this is for our Good Friday Seder meal. Uh, we only are going to end up probably having about 200 seats for that Seder meal. So if you want to come, you got to sign up. We're going to got to cut it off because we can only get so many people in the room before fire code. And we have about, I think, 150 some of people signed up in the last two weeks. So if you want to sign up, better get on that pretty quick before it fills up. Uh, but again, you can sign up there. You can sign up at the Welcome Center in the back, but we need to get on that. So there you go. Also, if you have a smartphone, you get an app. It's called Uversion. You click on Live and Uversion. Bring us up by GPS in your smartphone, and you will get all the sermon notes and the verses. It's timing out. It's timing out. Boo. Boo. Well, you know what? I'm t- I'll tell you what, we, Element, we have, supported, we, we have submitted our own app to iTunes, okay? but it's been rejected. So we've got to change the things and, and send it back. And you've got a real Bible. You've got a hard copy. Imagine that. Okay, so there you go. Uh, I, have, I have one thing to tell you about before we get going, and that is this. We help a, an organization in town called Community Partners in Caring. They help some elderly people in our community. And we usually go out and we, and we help clear out brush and stuff around people's homes. Uh, right now, what they need is they have some people who need some rides to doctor's offices and grocery stores and things like that. Uh, basically, if you go in the back at the Welcome Center, we have these listed out for the next couple weeks of needs that they have. And literally, any day of the week that you might have a little bit of time free, they probably have somebody that needs a little bit of assistance and help. It's a great way for you to share the love of Jesus while also doing something productive in our community. So if you'd like to do that, you can go check it out. Uh, you know, if you, if you have like a rickety old beat-up car, that'd just be awesome. Awesome. You have a walker in the walker. Oh, you get them in and be all, oh, hey, you know, just they're a little excitement in their lives while they get to go somewhere. So I saw Luke and reminded me of his pickup truck. So that's I was just thinking about that. Why don't you guys stay on me and read the God's word? This is Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we'd be a people who understand how you have made us to work and to rest, and what that is supposed to look like, so that we can honor you and glorify you with our lives. Amen. Have a seat. This is Genesis week 6. We're going to be jumping around a lot today. 
this is kind of cool. We are starting chapter two. Uh, it took us six weeks to get there, but we are will only be in chapter two two weeks. You're, you're welcome for that. But even starting chapter two, this isn't really chapter two, because most commentators believe that chapter two verses one through three is actually supposed to be part of and connected to chapter one. So we're kind of still in that, but we're moving forward. Um, at the end of chapter 1, and through the rest of Scripture, you see the main reason God made people was to glorify Him, and we're to do this by how we work and rest. So if you're an Xbox 360 boy, that's more work than rest, just letting you know. Uh, so it says, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all the work that He had done in creation. This tells you God does His work until it is done. In Genesis 1 and 2, you see that God's work essentially comes down to being humanity. In Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This means that God always finishes his work. God finishes his work. Beginning of Genesis chapter 2 is not a picture of God coming home and throwing his coat over a chair and grabbing the remote and laying in front of the couch going, woo, let's just veg out now. That is not what Genesis 2 is. Genesis 2 is the idea that God created everything and worked hard and he works well. It is not God going, oh, that was a lot of work, I think I pulled something. It was God you know, showing what it means to create it and then to enjoy his creation. And the Bible sets up this pattern, work and rest, work and rest. God sets this up because it's important to you and I that we actually rest. Too many people never rest. They just work all the time. That is not the cycle that God intends for his people. Now, some of you rest all the time. That is not the natural cycle God made for his people. You need to also work. Paul says, when we work, we are actually serving Jesus. So the question that we start out with today is, who is your God? If you never work, then you are. If you always work, then your job is. This is where we're supposed to live in tension of work and rest. Now, what we're going to cover this morning, I talked about most of this a couple of years ago. Some of you are like, Element's been around a couple of years? Yes, we have. Yay, go, go us. Uh, and so we talked, when I talked about this before, I actually got hate email. So it must have been a good sermon. All right. So anytime that happens, I'm like, wow, I, I hit a tone with somebody. So we're going to revisit part of that, help a little bit shorter, but help you understand that. So if you hear a little deja vu when you're actually here then, great. If not, then you weren't here then, so that's great. Because we've grown about three and a half times since we talked about this, so that's good. We're going to talk about work six-sevenths of the time and rest one-seventh of the time. Uh, if you work and go into the workforce, you will spend upwards of 100,000 hours of your life at work. That is an enormous part of your life. And it should be connected to Jesus because he is over all. Your work should be part of God's work in the world. And we work simply because our God created all, created all things, created us in his image, and our God works. Genesis 1.31, God creates, he calls it good. God works hard and well. I go in the New Testament to John chapter 5. Jesus goes and he heals a man at this pool. Don't, don't think the YMCA. Let's get that picture out of your head. But he heals a guy at a pool. It's the Sabbath. And like, you can't heal somebody on the Sabbath. What's wrong with you? They confront Jesus. How dare you make somebody better today? And Jesus' response in John 5.17 is, My father is working until now and I am working. God the Father is working. Jesus is working. People say, what's God doing even today? God's working. It's what God does. And so Genesis 2 shows you that man was created for work. It's a good thing. God intends for us to work hard and to work well. Not for our salvation. That's been paid for by Jesus, but with our hands and being his hands and feet in the world. Now in Genesis 3, which you'll see in a couple of weeks, it gets a lot more complicated. The fall occurs. The ground is cursed. It fights against us. takes more effort for things to produce well. 
that Christian thinking has really been corrupted throughout the ages with this idea of work. It starts all the way back with Plato and Greek dualism, where you had the spiritual and physical world, and they're separated, and the physical's bad, and the spiritual is all good. He believed that the physical wasn't beneficial or important. Uh, they, they called the spiritual world the world of the forms, the world of the forms. And anything that required labor should be abandoned. So essentially, the only thing that is good is academia. You go to school. You learn kind of where our society is going today. You know, don't, don't work a lot with your hands. Just go to school and learn all this stuff. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to school, but I'm saying work also with your hands. And so Plato started to see that anything that was physical was of no use. This actually also included parenting and friendships. Those aren't useful because those aren't the world of the forms. And it's teaching a segregation that the scriptures never teach. And this has vestiges all the way into our day where people say, oh, if you're really spiritual, you'll go into full-time ministry. This eventually leads to a view of the priesthood where men don't get married and they don't have sex, they don't eat good food or have good drink or have any pleasure at all. They're poor, they don't own anything, and they're considered the most spiritual. But the scriptures clearly teach you that you're supposed to get married, work a job, have kids, eat good food, have responsibilities and work those responsibilities because God blesses us so that we become a blessing to the world around us, to the entire earth, and that we glorify Him in what we do. I think this also means that, you know, when God creates us, we're to steward the garden and stuff. So if you own or rent a house, you have a yard, take care of it. Pull the weeds, mow the lawn, make it look good like a good gardener's supposed to. It's just my two cents. All right. Uh, Our life is never to be detached from our spirituality. And again, today people have the same stupid view. What's the most holy job? A lot of people say, oh, be a pastor. Really? Have you met a lot of pastors? Right? I know a lot of pastors. I don't know if I'd say that so much because they're all just a little bit... Crazy. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Church youth groups do a terrible disservice to kids because they always tell them, if you're really serious about God, you're going to go into the ministry. You're going to be a missionary. Not that those are bad things. It's not a problem if God calls you there. But what, anybody who isn't called there, they're not as spiritual as the guy who went to Bible college? Everybody else is like JV Christians or something? Is that what we're telling them? Like, Like the plumber isn't a godly man because he didn't go to Bible college? Seriously, I will tell you, we need toilets. We don't want to dig a hole and poop in the ground. All right? We need to, that's a very spiritual thing. I love Martin Luther. He wrote most of his sermons on the toilet. Godly thing. That's all, all I'm saying. You know, your job is a godly job simply because you do it. Men who take their craft seriously, women who take their craft seriously are doing a holy thing. So what I'm going to do is revisit this thing we talked about a couple years ago. I'm going to give you some myths about work. Myths about work. I just say miss, myth. There you go. About work. Most of these bizarre myths come out because of, you know, crazy kids who went through church youth groups and got all jacked up. But we're going we're gonna to set that all right this morning. Myth number one. Work is only what you get paid to do. That's a myth. If you're a student, that is your job, and you're supposed to do a good job at that. You're not getting paid. You're paying, but that's your job. Stay-at-home moms, that is work. They work more than 40 hours a week. If you're a kid and you have some chores and you don't get paid to do them, that's still your work. Mowing the lawn, cleaning your room, doing the dishes, your work, even when you don't get paid, because work is simply what you do. If you volunteer your time somewhere, that's also work. Some people won't volunteer at all if they don't get paid. Work is what you do. This means if, if you work a job and you come home and you, and you have a spouse and take care of the kids all day and they're like all oh, crazy, you should step into that and you should help around the house and do some things and wash dishes because that's still part of work. Biblically, work is everything that you do even if you don't get paid for it. So you do it well. Myth number two, work is just a necessary evil. 
People say, oh, too bad we got to work. must be God's punishment. He must hate us. No, that's a myth. Genesis 1 and 2, work is given before the fall. Our God works. God, works was one of the gifts that God gave to his people. we got to see it like that. Now, because of the curse hit, things got a lot harder for a long time. But God had work to do, and God continues to work. God works you know, six days, rest the one. Some people want that all backwards, right? They want to work like one day and rest six and, and make $100,000 a year stuffing envelopes at home between loading screens on the Xbox. That, that's what they want. That's terrible. You're to work hard so when you get the rest, like if you work really hard like in a day and you, and you go home and you fall into bed, you're just like, oh, and your sleep is so good. Or you work like all week and then you have that weekend and you're just like, oh, it's so good to rest and to be able to hang out with my spouse and my kids and my animals and whatever you got and my goldfish, whatever you got, you're just hanging out. You know, that's, that's supposed to be what makes rest enjoyable because you have worked hard for it. Myth number three, it'd be great if Christians didn't have to work. I've actually heard Christians say this, and only Christians think this. <laughs> so you'll say, I want to dedicate my life to spiritual things. Really? Then work. That's a spiritual thing. Freeloading is not biblical hospitality. I mean, some people really have an unbiblical missionary view. I used to know this kid. And about every three months, he'd move house to house to house. He'd be like, oh, I want to really work in ministry. People would take him in. Oh, let me help you out. Didn't make him get a job. Just paid for his food. He just hung out in people's houses. And it's like, oh, I just... Seriously, this guy, three months, three months, everybody got sick and tired of him and kicked him out. I was thinking we ought to pick up a collection, buy some bats, and beat him with them. Because... <laughs> I got hate mail the last time I talked about this, by the way, just so you know. Ecclesiastes 2, 24 and 25. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. That's work. This also I saw is from the hand of God. God made us to work. Work is meant to be rewarding. First Thessalonians 4, 11. Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders be dependent on no one. See, it is not bad to work. It's a good thing. Christians should work. I mean, especially if you are in this room and you're Young and single, work a lot, especially if you're a dude. Save some money because you're going to meet a girl. You're going to have to convince her that you're worth it. So save some I can buy a ring. I can buy a house. I save my money. What a, what a great pickup line right there. All right, myth number four. Myth number four. People should never go hungry. This is where I get in trouble. That's a myth. Proverbs 16, 26. The worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. I'll tell you, sometimes hunger will make someone work. If you're skinny and your pants are falling off, a cheeseburger sounds really good. Go get a job and buy one. I got a bunch of bad stories about a bunch of bad people. I'm not going to name names or anything, but, but I'll tell you, I know a guy who lived at his mom's house into his 40s. In his, not, not his mom living with him. him. His mom does his laundry, takes care of him. It's a terrible thing. I'll tell you, parents, you got a kid in your house in their 40s, not because they like lost their job and need some help, but it's like, hey, my mommy's always taking care of me. Kick them out. Make them get a job and go to work. I, I'll tell you, this guy, I'd never buy him lunch because I'm biblical. Second Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Starvation for some people can be biblical. Just because someone's poor doesn't mean they get a handout. There are legitimate needs, and we need to help with those legitimate needs. There are some people who cannot find a job. Yes, we should help them. But there are other people who get unemployment and say, Oh, wow, two years now? Great, I'm going to hang out for two years and do nothing. Those people? Where was I? Oh, yeah, there's legitimate needs. But did I mention I got hate mail last time I talked about this? Okay, myth number five. There is Christian and non-Christian work. That's a myth. The, the means, if you're a Christian, you're doing a job that makes it a Christian job. 
I, well, okay, take a step back. I guess there are non-Christian jobs like crack dealer and hitman and prostitute and meth lab worker and singer in a boy band. <laughs> Purveyor of country music, you know, something like that. I did get hit my last time. I did. Now, which, you know, you, you think about this biblically: a musician, fishing, farming, textiles, education, politics, parenting, law, military. All of those in Scripture are considered to be able to be a Christian job because it's the person working the job the right way and the right timing. It's how you work the job. If a Christian doesn't work biblically, then it's not right. First Corinthians 10.31, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I think God is much more concerned about how we do our jobs. Whether it's sweeping floors or you're a doctor, you do it biblically. See, everything's God's will is this little dot, and we've got to find that little dot and figure it out. What's that little dot? No, God's will is direction. Serve, love, glorify. That's God's will. I run into so many college kids who are like, oh, I've got to figure what this thing out and then find my degree and get my degree in that and that one little thing. Okay, how many people in here have a degree? All right, now how many people in here are... Really? It's like, oh, that's too much effort. Okay, well, put your hand up. Okay, you got a degree. Okay, now, how many of you are still working in the field your degree was originally in? Ooh. Okay, I just saw like 10 hands drop. This is the thing. You can put your hands down. Like, thank you. Okay, raise your hand if you're sure. All right. Um, this is the thing. Economies are constantly reinventing themselves. Constantly. Whatever you do, you get a degree in it, eventually that field's going to kind of go away. Horse and buggies used to be a great job. Not anymore. You'd be starving. I mean, seriously, somebody got rich on like Betamax and VHS and cassette tapes and 8-tracks. You'd starve to death by now if that was your only source of income. So this is the deal. Sometimes things just change. God's will. Serve, love, glorify. We serve God. We love God. And whatever you do, you do it all to His glory. Myth number six. I must sit and wait until God tells me what to do. That's a myth. God did tell you what to do. Work. That's what He told you to do. Some people think God's going to show up and go, John, be a rock star. You know, that, no, he's not going to, and people laugh because some people do that. I think that's what God's, I'll tell you what, you've got to, you've got to figure out what God has placed upon your heart and what you love to do. I used to, when I was growing up, I used to want to be an astronaut. I thought it'd be so cool being like outer space, woo, you know, all of that was all the fun stuff, not, and I realized a lot of math that goes into it. I'm like, I don't want to be an astronaut, Because right? I'm not very good at math. So you've got to figure out what, what you like. I mean, if you've like, I feel called to engineering, but you're terrible with numbers. For the love of God, don't be an engineer. Don't build anything people are going to drive in or walk in. I mean, seriously. Like, oh, I really want to be a lifeguard, but I'm allergic to water. For the love of God, don't be a lifeguard. Go find something else to do. See, the, 2 Timothy 3.16 reminds us all of Scripture is useful. It's useful. So if you want to be a, a mother or a farmer or an architect or a doctor, look at them in Scripture. What do they look like? You know, Jesus, carpenter, how do you think he ran his shop? Do you think he was on his deadlines when he said he was going to get done? Peter's a fisherman. How did Peter fish? To Proverbs 15.22, without counsel plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. Get some counsel if you're unsure what to do or what you want to do. Think you might want to be a doctor? Talk to one. Think you might want to be an engineer? Talk to one. You think you might want to be a teacher? Talk to one. See, you don't go to school forever and then realize you're going to hate what you're going to be doing. 
Now, I do think sometimes God does pick people for certain things specifically. Paul, David, Samuel, Noah. Hey, Noah, be a boat builder. Oh, I live in the desert. That's kind of pointless. I want to be in ministry. Oh, that's going to be a good ministry. Trust me, make it a good boat. You know, you get to figure those things out. You know, specialized calls are highly unusual. Moses, special case. I don't think God's going to show up to you and say, Hey, uh, go pump people's gas and sell them oil in a can and say the, the, the Almighty I Am sent you. I don't think that's going to happen to you. But whatever you do can be a Christian job. Special calls are not normal. It's like, Moses got his call. Why didn't I get mine? Because you're not Moses. All right? That's very simple. Unless your name is Moses, then you're not that Moses. So, you know, most people that get a special call would trade you in a heartbeat. Like Jonah, trade you in a second. I don't want to go to an I'll go. God. Take that person instead of me. I mean, Jonah would trade with you in a, in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. Myth number seven. I want to be in ministry, so I shouldn't waste my time working a job. Young guys say this all the time, and I want to smack them upside the head. And, oh, I want to be in ministry, so, and I want to serve the Lord, so I can't work. Totally unbiblical view. I am convinced that most people who think that they want to be in full-time church ministry are not actually called there because they are weird and they're going to screw up the gospel. I mean, seriously, if you read the Bible and think you're going to be Paul... <laughs> You're wrong. All right? Not all of us are going to do global life change ministry. But if you work your job and you love your spouse and you're serving your community, your influence will go out in a subtle, invisible way, and sometimes it will go global. See, if we hire somebody at Element, you know, it's probably not going to be the guy who went to Christian school and Christian seminary and now wants to be in Christian ministry because they have no idea what that actually looks like. Ministry is you guys in your social networks, your work, your neighborhoods, your homes, touching people with the love of Christ. If we hired someone here who had never worked a job or never had a decent marriage, why would I put them in church ministry? Like James, James as a youth, even before we ever gave James a job, he was working two to three jobs and volunteering for us before we give him a job. The, the next person I would love to hire at Element is Eric Jafruti. Eric Jafruti has been working a job for, I won't tell you how old he is, but it's been years. Yeah. <laughs> Working a job hard, working well, managing a bunch of people. And we need that. Our staff really needs some management. Right? <laughs> you know, we would love to bring him on to staff. We really would. But he has been working a job for years. He is faithful in that. I mean, I even own a computer company on the side, and I have some employees. I mean, this is the thing. We want people to understand. We know what it's like to work. And when we put people in front of you, we want you to know that you can trust these people and what they've been through in their lives. I mean, you look at Jesus. He's a carpenter for 30 years. Is that a waste of his time? Did God not have better things to do than work as a carpenter? No. He was working his job hard and well, making nice tables and chairs. Jesus was doing spiritual things. And by Jesus working well, he is preaching the good news. You've got to look at your job that way. Good employees will show themselves to be qualified for church ministry. See, because we don't make pastors. God makes pastors. And you may be underemployed or in a dead-end job now. I mean, you should say, you know, why am I working this job where, where I have to wear a uniform and I get yelled at through a clown? You know, what, what's, what's the deal with my job? I, got, I know it stinks sometimes, but God has you where you are to instill a work ethic in you. So you'll be up for the next task. And when God calls you to go and the next thing prevents itself, you, you just go. You go where he calls you to. But you always work hard where you are, and your character will grow, and so don't be motionless. Be faithful in small things and move forward. And myth number eight, you should use your time at work to do evangelism. It's a myth. Made by how you live your life, by loving and serving and doing your job well, but not by shirking your responsibilities. I mean, I'm not going to raise a hands with this, but anybody know someone who claims to be a Christian at your job, and they're never doing the job they're paid for because they're always trying to do ministry? 
oh, it's just annoying. I used to work at this place, had this guy that did it, and he go, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm like, oh, just shut up, please, dear God, just, just shut up. Cause, cause they're not. I'll give you the Big Ten, like the, the Big Ten Commandments, right? Exodus 20:15. you shall not steal. You shall, shall not steal. If you're getting paid to do a job and you're not doing it, you're stealing. You're stealing. I told you this story before that this kid I knew, he was a bag boy at a grocery store. And, and everybody's always mad at the Christian because every time this guy would go take something to somebody's car, he'd be gone a half an hour because he's dropping the gospel. Right? He'd be like, do you know where you would go if you died tonight? Can I have my ice cream? In a minute! In a minute! <laughs> Seriously, it's just crazy, crazy stuff. Withhold groceries till he gets like a profession of faith. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Can I... Okay, you know, that's stealing. It makes everyone mad. God called me to do more important things. No, God calls you to push a rickety little cart to somebody's car and unload their groceries. That's what God has called you to do because that's your job. I mean, in a nutshell, he's telling everybody, sorry, I can't do the job I'm paid for. It's Jesus' fault. That's just stupid. If our God isn't putting groceries in somebody's car, they're all going to want to be atheists. I mean, if that's what you want, quit. Hang out in the parking lot, but don't take the company's money to do evangelism. He got fired, and he should have gotten fired. If you get paid to work, work. If you want to witness, invite your coworkers over to your house. Fix them dinner. Treat them with respect. Show them the love of Jesus. Use your own time, not the company's time. All right. Sound like I own a company, doesn't it? <laughs> All right. I'm going to give you some principles for Christian work really quickly here, okay? As far as Christian, this is how you work. Uh, business ethics. You work well. Proverbs 11.1. 1. The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. So if you own, this means if you own a business, you're fair. You are always fair. If you're a contractor, you keep honest records. You work six, you bill six. If you have an estimate, you stick to it. If you think a job's going to take six, but they want it done in four, you don't quote four and then overbill for the last two and say, oh, it, it took six. If you're a mechanic and you're like, oh, hey, it's going to cost 12 bucks to fix this car, but they don't want to spend that, they'll spend eight. You don't say, okay, I'll do it for eight. Open it up and call them and go, oh, hey, I got your car open and these things are wrong too, it's going to cost 12. Right? You just keep with what you say. You live to your word. You don't skirt the law. You don't skim off the top. You don't overbuild. God hates it when his people do that. Second thing is you work with skill. Proverbs 22, 29. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. So that means you work well. You show up on time. And when you do that, God says you're going to actually do well. So if you're a mom, you're the best mom you can be. If you're an artist, you're the best artist you can be. If you're an accountant, you're the best accountant you can be. If you're, an account, uh, if you're a salesman, the best salesman you can be. If you're a child and you have chores, you do the chores the best that you can. You do it skillfully. Anybody watch the show uh, Pawn Stars? Pawn Stars? Pawn. I love the Pawn Stars. So you've got to be careful with that, right? Pawn Stars. Okay. Uh, I, I like this. Uh, a couple, couple weeks ago on Pawn Stars, there's this... Guy brings in this watch to this, to this pawn shop. And he brings it in, and Rick, the guy who owns the pawn shop, takes it, and the watch is kind of beat up, but he opens it up. And on the inside, it's two weeks ago. Let me see this one. All right, the four of us, good. All right, so he opens it up, and on the inside, there's all these, and this watch is like 350 years old. And all the, and all the gears are still working because everybody had to make the gears by hand. And it's the inside of this watch that you never see is just immaculate. It is beautiful. And he puts the cover back on. He's like, oh, well, someone beat the crap out of that. But, you know, you'll, and the inside's just, just amazing. And seriously, our watches aren't going to be around in 30 years. This is 300 years later, and this watch is still going. And it's being talked about on TV, on the highest rated program on this network, this watch that this watchmaker did 300 years ago because he took such care with how he did it. That's how we are to work, skillfully and well. See, if you work right, it's going to build your business. Skilled businesses get found. Word of mouth is still the best. And then it goes along with that work hard with your hands. You work hard with your hands. Proverbs 12, 24. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. 
And so when you get a skill, you keep working on it to make it better and better and better. Uh, my wife's friend, Michelle, and my wife are both nurses, and they're always going to, to more college classes and these things to figure out better ways that you're supposed to do things, the trauma things and all that kind of stuff, which I'll tell you is a great thing because you don't want to go to the hospital and have a nurse be going, uh, pfft, you know, what do I do with this? You want someone who knows what they're doing. You're like, I'm having a heart attack. Uh, you know, you want someone who knows what they do. So you work hard skills. All right, uh, take care of your boss. If you're an employee, here's a good one. Take care of your boss. Proverbs 27, 18. He who tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who looks after his master will be honored. Take care of your boss. That means you be a good employee. That means you don't make excuses and you show up on time. Proverbs 26, 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. Basically, this is someone's like, well, I couldn't make it to work because I could have got murdered on the way. Really? You don't show up, you will get murdered. You better get here on time, I'm telling you. At CNN gave this list of the top excuses last year of people who were late for work. These are, their, these are excuses from last year. I had to go to an audition for American Idol. <laughs> Didn't make it, did you? Uh, I have transient amnesia and couldn't remember my job. Yeah. What? The line at Starbucks was too long. See, I believe that one. That's like the only one I believe is right there. I was trying to get my gun back from the police. <laughs> you can be late anytime. It's okay. <laughs> Whatever you want. I didn't have money for gas because all the pawn shops were closed. Should have gone to Rick. My husband thinks it's funny to hide my car keys before he goes to work. I walked into a spider web on the way out the door and couldn't find the spider, so I had to go inside and shower again. That'd be me. I'd be like, I've been bit by a spider. It's not fun. I, lo- I got locked in my trunk by my son. I don't know. My left turn signal was out, so I had to make all right turns to get to work. I ended up in China. I don't know how. I was attacked by a raccoon. I had to stop by the hospital to make sure it wasn't rabid. And here's my favorite. I feel like I'm in everyone's way if I show up on time. Yeah, you're not in anybody's way anymore, buddy. You're gone. Don't make excuses. You just do your job. And lastly, you work for Jesus. You work for Jesus. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You see, your paycheck may have a company's name on it, but you work for Jesus. Because if your boss doesn't see something, Jesus does, so you do it well. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. I'll tell you, sometimes I know it's very hard to work. But I'll tell you, with due diligence, God will bring satisfaction to your work. Because it is by God's grace that things actually get done. So all work is done by God's grace and our hard work both coming together. Work and grace are friends. It is God's grace that enables us to work. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. Paul says this, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me. See, this is the idea. When we work, it is God's strength working in and through us. We lay everything at His feet. Work and rest to enjoy it. Now, I know I spent most of the time talking about work. I'm going to give you a little bit about rest because we need to rest as well. Now, when we start talking about words like Sabbath, people get all weird and legalistic with it. They go, oh, is it Saturday or is it Sunday? When is it? Romans 14, Paul essentially says, whatever, you know, get over it. Jews was, you know, thought it was Saturday. Christians brought it to Sunday. America couldn't decide, so you get both. So we say, amen, that's wonderful, you know. People go, well, what can I do on the Sabbath? Like it's some legalistic thing. Can I mow the lawn? Can I play softball? What do you, what do you enjoy doing? You know, that's, that's the idea of resting 
in this. You know, if you really like mowing the lawn, come mow mine. I'll let you anytime you want. I don't care. You know, God has given us so much. The idea is to stopping to enjoy those things. The home he's given you. Maybe you want to take a nap, sleep in the bed. Maybe you have, you know, a, a dog that you love playing and fetch with or whatever. And, you know, spend time with your spouse. It doesn't have to be in that order, by the way. You can do whatever you want. They're all supposed to be just sacred moments. God made us to work. That means we work hard. He made us to rest, so we rest well. It's this whole idea of rest is it teaches that it's not about worshiping ourselves or worshiping our jobs. It's about worshiping Jesus because ultimately it's all about Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. See, what our souls are looking for is a place to find this rest, a place to call home. And Jesus says, That is me. When you rest in me, you will truly find your home. And you no longer have to worry about if you're loved or be worked to be loved because you are loved. So here's my last little bit about Sabbath. Four reasons of Sabbath. Number one, Sabbath rest will refresh your whole self. And when I say Sabbath, I'm not speaking about this legalistic thing. I'm just talking about rest. Sabbath means rest. So when we rest, we lay aside all the demands and pressures of life and enter intentionally into a little season where we cease from our work. Secondly, Sabbath rest refreshes our hearts towards God. Okay, again, not a legalistic thing, but this is resting, taking time to honor God. Resting recalibrates our hearts and our minds to God relationally. When we rest, we give our attention to God, hopefully in a more focused way. You can read the scriptures, you can pray, uh, you can play with your kids, you can go see a movie, spend time and love on your spouse. Number three, Sabbath rest reorients our lives to grace. To grace. Deuteronomy 5, God grounds the whole idea of the Sabbath command in salvation. And so when we rest, we remember it's not my work that saves me, but it is Christ's work that counts. And so we get to rest from, from trying to find our value in, in our work and find our meaning in our work and identity in our work and our joy in our work because they're not rooted in our work. They're not rooted in what we accomplish. It is rooted in what God has done in Christ to save us. You see, Jesus is our rest. Jesus is our Sabbath. And so when he rests, we're also to learn how to rest because we do not need to earn God's favor. We do not need to always try to establish our own identity apart from him. We are children of God and we rest in that. And number four, Sabbath rest refreshes our hope. Refreshes our hope. Uh, see, this idea of resting fuses hope into us but because it reminds us that God has worked to rescue and save his people. And that all of eternity, God wants to start today in our lives and unleash that eternity in our present, in every moment, in everything. This is why we must heed God's warnings to work and to rest well. I'll tell you, the older you get, this whole idea of resting becomes much more important. Because like, oh, I hurt my back again. I've got to figure that out. I mean, the, the whole idea of this idea of resting in who Christ is, this, is, this is what heaven truly means. It's the idea of resting in who Christ is and what he has done in his work. And so we do that here because it starts now. Again, Genesis 2, verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He sets it apart. He makes it different because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. We're to work hard. We're to rest hard. And all of it is to translate into worship of who God is. That's the point. The band will come up. Do a couple songs right here. And as they do these songs, we invite you to take communion. Communion is where we take that cracker and we break it like Christ's body is broken for us. We dip it in the wine of the grape juice, reminding us of his blood that was shed for you and me. So that we remember that his work was done there. Our work was done there. And he has saved us as his people and called us to places of redemption. I feel like you should walk down that with holding someone in your hand like a da 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 da. 
Uh, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you guys need prayer for anything, maybe especially if you work all the time, you need to learn how to rest a little bit. You just need someone to talk to you. They'd be, they would love to talk to you. Uh, we worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall in the back. We give, we, we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. So we give you the opportunity every week. We, we realize that the jobs that we have and what we do with our hands and with our minds, those are gifts from God. And so we give to Him. Uh, there's some food and stuff in the back. And we invite you, uh, when service is done, to go grab something to eat and meet some other people. Hopefully, and you will get to talk to the people, and they will spur you on to understand what work is more like in community as well. Because we want to do all that we do in community with each other. And as we walk out of these walls, we can show people what it means to truly honor God in our work in what we do. I'll tell you, our God is a good God. He has never stopped working for his people. He loves us, and he redeems us. And so hopefully we'd be a people who learn how to love him back. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for giving us the gift of work, even at times when we don't understand it. And I ask that you would take in our hearts, help us, number one, understand that we don't have to work for our salvation. We don't have to work to be loved by you, but that your great grace has been bestowed upon us. But I do ask that you convict us in our hearts how to work better, in front of people so people see who you are and what you have always been doing working to bring your people home and that you have a finished work on the cross to draw your people to you Father I ask that that we as we go out of these walls we would be better representations of who you are and how you work by how we work that you would be seen in our lives. Father, we want to be those who who bow our hearts and bend our knees, not just in this room on a Sunday morning, but in every aspect of our lives so that you are glorified and known greater by the work that you have done. We thank you for being a God who reaches to save us and has called us your own, and have brought us home. Thank you for loving us the way that you do. Amen.